0: Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is episode 205 of Yoga Land. Today my guest is Arundati Bait Mangalkar. She is a yoga studio owner. She's the owner of Aham Yoga up in Redmond, Washington, and she is launching a new podcast about yoga called Let's Talk Yoga. One of her very first interviews happens to be with Jason. So you can head over there and listen to that one after you listen to this one. Arundhati shares her story in this episode, which is a just a great story. I'm excited for you to hear it. And we also talk about her thoughts and feelings about different aspects of cultural appropriation. This is obviously a topic that's important to our community and has been for some time. And I'm just truly grateful to Arundhati for having such an open honest conversation about it. And also, I just want to add that at the end of the interview, after I turned the recording off, she said something to the effect of no shame, no blame. We just do the best with the knowledge that we have and we move forward. So I appreciate that spirit in her and I hope that you appreciate and learn from the episode. Just a quick announcement before I start the interview that Jason's Mastering the Art of Yoga Sequencing is going to be online September 22nd through the 27th. So if you've always wanted to study with him, this is a great opportunity to do so. And I just want you to know, these are not like big long Zoom meetings. It's really great interactive content. It's hosted on our learning platform. And then you also have live calls with Jason. So if you are interested, head over to jasonyoga.com/sequencing and you can get all the details there and you can also register right from that page. Okay, here's the interview. Well, Aru, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you better and to to talking to you. Thank you for having me. I want to start with when you reached out to me via email, I recognized you from social media because I've been following you and I think we've commented on each other's feeds a few times Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: you just have an awesome story in terms of growing up in India and not doing yoga until you were 25. I think, you know, people might assume that growing up in India, you automatically do yoga, but of course that's not the case. It's a huge country and then moving to the States. So I would just love to hear how you were introduced to yoga in India.
2: So, like you said, I didn't do yoga growing up. Most people think that, oh, you're born in India, you do yoga from day one. But I was never exposed to it. I know my mom did some of it in her childhood, but honestly, it was not around me. I would say pretty much most of my childhood and teenage years. It's only in my adult life that I actually started paying a little more attention to it. So, I was introduced to yoga through one of my dance colleagues and I was a professional Bollywood dancer and choreographer Mm -hmm. about 14 years now. So one of my dance colleagues was the first one who piqued my interest about yoga. It was a time where I was looking to move out of teaching Bollywood dance Um, Mm -hmm. and you've been a dancer, right? So you know this, it's it's a shorter career, it's Mm -hmm. really hard on your body. It was really competitive. The environment I was in was a little toxic. So I was looking to transition out of it, but I loved teaching and I loved just being in class in that that format of teaching. So I was looking at something that would be in the space of movement, but a little more. And by now I was probably 24, 25. I had tried a marketing job. I tried to study for an MBA. I mean, as supportive as my parents were, they were still kind of hinting that I should get a real job. And while dancing is great, it doesn't really pay the bills. So one of my colleagues just happened to be talking to somebody else about yoga. And I was just in the background and I happened to hear it. And just a light bulb went off and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've tried Pilates. I've tried Zumba. Why shouldn't I try yoga? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started speaking to her and I'm like, hey, tell me where to start. And within like no time, I was signed up for a yoga teacher training and I hadn't even attended my first formal yoga class until then. So I just jumped. I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm doing this. I signed up for a teacher training and then went and started attending yoga classes like asana classes. And I fell in love with it. And I just started geeking out and the rest is
0: history. So. Wow. That teacher training that you found was a fit, which you're incredibly fortunate about that was that a training that your friend had recommended to you or did you just kind of find it
2: so she gave me three recommendations and i didn't know anything about yoga other than you know yoga existed there were asanas it was a lifestyle and i chose the one that was closest to my house because i didn't want to travel and it was like 6 7 minutes away and i never saw it and my first training was in power vinyasa okay And then I'm branched off into other trainings and I did multiple after that. But that's where I started. I just asked her for her list of three, went to the first one that was closest. And it's not a glamorous start, to be honest, (laughs) but that's how I started
0: doing it. I'm really glad for you to share the truth because I think a lot of us don't have glamorous starts and you are the third person that I've had on the podcast who has talked about Not having done yoga before and Mm -hmm. starting with teacher training. And my teacher, Sarah Powers, did her teacher training really early on in her practice. So it's it's actually not that uncommon. I think there can be somewhat of a calling, and the fact that you were already doing dancing and like in your body, you you already had an awareness of of that. So so I think it's encouraging to people to, to share that. What was it like for you, you know, you mentioned being a professional Bollywood dancer, and I imagine that was incredibly intense on your body. What was it like for you when you first started doing yoga in terms of comparing the impact on your body of of Bollywood dance and yoga?
2: So when I actually started doing these asana classes and my training, I had a very badly injured Achilles tendon. Mm. And we used to dance, like we used to train like crazy at the dance company. We used to teach like six, seven hours without a break. We used Mm -hmm. to dance bare feet on all sorts of surfaces. Mm -hmm. So I came in with an Achilles tendon injury where I couldn't do down dog with my feet on the mat. So I used to actually hang my injured foot and wrap it around my other calf just for support. Mm -hmm. So there was a point where I remember I used to like limp on my way to yoga class. And then I would feel so much better afterwards. So yes, Bollywood dance was intense on my body. And you know, in your early 20s, you don't really, at least I didn't pay attention to the repercussions of it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was extremely healing, but for me, it was more about how I felt within myself after a yoga practice. My dance company, as great as it was, was a very toxic, highly competitive environment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my yoga teachers were the exact opposite. One of my main teachers in my sort, it was the first time someone told me to not push myself, mm-hmm. to step back if things got really intense and it's okay to have not a, such a great day on the mat and it's okay to rest and to be kind and gentle. And my teachers were so respectful, something I didn't see in my dance world mm-hmm. where it was cutthroat mm-hmm. um, and you know how dance teachers are, right? Completely. It's really hardcore ones. Yeah. So I think physically I healed um, that that, um, Achilles tendon injury is now gone. But I think I healed emotionally and mentally a lot more. So I clung on to all the yoga I could find Mm -hmm. because it was a refuge from what my dancing years were like. And I was seven years in at this point when I started um, yoga.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, I could tell the exact same story that you just told in terms of just growing up dancing, and in a way when I was dancing Lisa, and I, I hope that it has changed, I think that it has, but when I was dancing, um, even in a small town in a small town company, you were made to feel like if your body didn't fit an exact mold that something mm-hmm. was wrong with it, and like you said, you pushed yourself till you could drop, you know it was so just. I I just, it's fascinating in a way, like why now that, now that we are where we are, right. In this perspective, it's like, like you said, it, it gives you such a short shelf life in terms of a career. People are just in pain all the time. And so, yeah, yoga can feel like such a respite, like those teachers who told you to rest, it probably felt like a complete revelation to you.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like I've been on stage with a fractured toe. Oh. I've been on stage with jaundice. I mean, it was really horrific, the things we used to do. And then came this full new world that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And the moment I found it, I just leaped mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and went all in. And mm-hmm. I geeked out and I immersed myself mm-hmm. as much as I could in whatever yoga schools I could find around me.
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Uh, About seven years ago, is it, that you moved to the U.S. and you're up in the Seattle area? Correct. About
2: seven and a half, maybe a little more.
0: Okay. What brought you and your husband to the States? So my husband
2: used to work for Microsoft Uh in Bangalore, where we lived in India. And Microsoft is headquartered here in Redmond, Washington. Right. Yes, yes, yes. So we... We all, I always knew he wanted to move out of India ever since we started dating. He was very clear that we would move out at some point. So a couple of months after we got married, we made the big move of coming up here to Redwood.
0: How long did it take you before you opened your first business? About a year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I know you are like a doer. I can just tell. <laughs> Just the, just the amount of conversations we've had so far you you own two businesses right at the yes. Right? currently yes. yes so you have a yoga studio called aham yoga studio and then is your bollywood studios completely separate so they run at the same
2: location okay um so i use the aham yoga studio space to also run the dance classes and we just manage the schedule in such a way where the yoga studio takes about 90% or 80% of the time and my energy and effort. And Works, which is the name of my studio, is my part-time venture. And we just have always managed the schedule in such a way where both things happen at the same location. But yeah, it's, it's uh, crazy to run two things at the same time.
0: Yeah. So I'm just so curious, what was it like for you to open a studio in the States? Did you feel like when you arrived here, did you feel like, oh, this is just a natural progression of what I was doing in India? And did it feel sort of seamless? Or did you feel like Americans were practicing yoga differently or had different expectations?
2: So there are two two parts to that question. I firstly never dreamed of owning one business, leave alone two. So when I moved here, I was, I knew nobody um, and it was very lonely. Mm -hmm. So yoga was my only friend in many ways, as corny as that sounds. Um, So I wanted to start teaching to keep my teaching skills sharp. And I always felt at home teaching. So I didn't start a studio the way people traditionally think of, you know, you get a lease and you start a studio. I started renting space and teaching just one, two, maybe three yoga classes a week. Mm -hmm. And that eventually evolved into what today is a full service yoga studio. Hmm. So I literally started, I rented out space in an other yoga studio, which could accommodate honestly six people. And that's how I started. So I used to teach a couple of weeks, a couple of days a week, and then slowly two classes became four classes, four classes became weekends, weekends became eventually workshops. Then when my students were like, oh, will you do teacher training, then teacher training. And then I was like, oh, everybody runs retreats, let me run a retreat. Mm-hmm. So honestly did what I call market research, which was me on Google looking at what the yoga world here looks like. And that's how I eventually became a studio. I didn't Walk, come in here and say, like, okay, tomorrow I'm opening a studio.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It kind of snowballed into it. And I just kept meeting the demands of the community in many ways. So that's how Aham Yoga and Bollyworks were born. And till today, I don't have the traditional studio setup. I do not have a lease. I rent by the hour till date, seven years in. I have a fantastic landlady, and I really think I moved across the world to meet her and for oh, yeah. us to develop this relationship. So I still rent by the hour, and hence I have been able to do things slightly differently. Every time I needed more time, I would keep asking her, she'd give it to me, and I would never be caught with a lease and a full studio space. It's just, it's not for me. And, and why still- is that just...
0: Yeah, I would love to know more about that.
2: I think yoga, running a yoga studio looks so glamorous from the outside. Uh-huh. There's so, so much risk involved. And yeah. I have inquired what commercial spaces here cost. And there's no way I would be able to make that much in one corner of Redmond to justify the expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there was always a trade-off, right? My studio would never look like one of these massively fancy studios. It's a basic room, stuff like that. But I traded that for just not having the headache of a lease, especially now during COVID and my hair is not turning as gray as it usually does because I don't have that lease. I still pay for my studio space, but it's more affordable than if I had a commercial lease and a commercial
0: studio space. That's amazing. Does she use the space for anything else or she just allows you to mostly use it, but she allows you to pay hourly?
2: So a ballet teacher and I share the space. Okay. We work together beautifully. We don't encroach upon each other's times. Um, She deals with children. So her hours are completely different from my adult classes. Early on, about seven years ago, there were a lot of other people sharing the space. But as my studios grew, my landlady was just like, you know what, we work so well together. I'm not going to get into the hassle of multiple renters, the two of you, it's yours. Just Mm -hmm. take it, pay for it when you use it. Mm -hmm. And she's, um, yeah, it's it's a magical relationship. I never thought (laughs) that I would end up with a a setup like this.
0: That's great. And you know, I mean, when you say it's just a simple room, I'm sure it was like this for you. Like that's what dance rooms always have been. They're just simple rooms and they come to life with the people who are who are in them. And I oh, absolutely I, I think that model is really smart. I mean, I'm thinking about all of the studios right now who are are challenged, right? Like you said by COVID and I don't know, maybe this is a direction that people could go if they could find a situation similar and- to yours.
2: I always encourage all my new teachers who graduate, like don't even dream of starting a studio, go rent small spaces and gather your community and just teach out of that because then you mm-hmm. get to focus on the yoga mm-hmm. and not so much on just, you know, getting mm-hmm. your, crunching your numbers every month and just letting anything and everything happen in the name of yoga in your studios because you have to pay your rent.
0: So interesting, yeah.
2: And, and it's a simple room but it's like on a 5 acre piece of land it's beautiful it's green it's heated mm-hmm. floors and it's it's different but it's tucked away in uh-huh. a little
0: corner of redmond uh-huh i love it i love that you've just grown that your studio grew in this organic way that's amazing it it's a testament to your ability to attract students and to your ability to just connect with people and that people really loved your your teaching. That it snowballed into this, you know, into this uh, s- studio model that you have. That's that's amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I would love to switch gears for a moment, and mm-hmm. I think that you have done such a great job of talking about issues that are in our community right now. And I think I can't believe I haven't really had a very direct conversation about this yet. And. Part it's been my own fear of the conversation. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to talking to you about it because I feel like I, I will learn a lot and my listeners will learn a lot. And that's just talking about overall how you've noticed cultural appropriation of yoga and and how it feels. And you even have some specific points that you hope people can learn about and one of the ones that i that stood out to me is this concept of white teachers referring to each other as yogis like hey yogis mm-hmm. and you wrote a post about this that you know that that's almost insulting to refer to a yogi in such a casual way so i would love to hear just kind of what that means to you and you know what that word Means to you and what you think of as a yogi?
2: So growing up, we always use the word yogi for someone who has spent their entire lifetime in pursuit of the many goals of yoga. And they go through severe penance. And it's that's not just attending an asana class here and there, it is giving up relationships probably moving out of society, going through a lot of hardships, not having possessions, giving up all the pleasures of life. So a yogi's journey is a lot harder than what we have, at least in modern day yoga studios. So my teachers, and I take all my cues from my teachers, my teachers never called themselves yogis. In mm. fact, it was a word that was just not used in my yoga classes or, or my trainings. So when I moved here and I went to a few studios and when the teacher first said, good morning, yogis, I was like, oh, Hmm. I'm I'm a yogi now. And then I noticed it's everywhere, right? Hashtag yogis of Instagram, all of it. It's it's so common, but I never refer to myself as a yogi. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't dare to refer to myself as a yogi. Mm -hmm. And I never call any of my students yogis either. And in fact, when we start teacher training, that's like day one, things we don't do is we don't call ourselves yogis. So I just think it's been reduced to a very trendy, cool sounding word, mm-hmm. actually a title. And a yogi, the, the title is given to somebody by others in society. A yogi does, is not self-proclaimed walking around saying, me. hey, look at me, I'm a yogi. So to me, it's, it's almost crazy that we call ourselves yogis out here. So I've always wanted to say it. And I finally said it recently, yeah. like, okay, please stop.
0: Yeah. It's something I, I honestly had never thought about. And and when I read your post, it made sense. It's like so calling someone a yogi is an honorific. And like you said, it's not something that, it's almost like calling yourself that is elevating yourself to this role that that you maybe, in the true sense of the tradition, have not earned. Absolutely. And I think it's
2: become, the word yogi here in modern yoga studios refers to somebody who just is a yoga student who walks right. in, like, like a beginner. It's like saying dancers. It's like saying, yeah, hey, dancers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And a, and a beginner who's just started yoga on day one, they're labeled a yogi. But I think you have to live your yoga. It has to be your natural state to and all the
0: penance to eventually be called a yogi by others. Mm-hmm. It actually reminds me of, it, it sounds like to you, the, that concept and the word is sacred. So it would almost be like someone saying like, I'm a priest suddenly, you know, or I'm... Exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. I'm, I was, yeah, I was trying not to say priest, but yeah, exactly.
2: So yeah, I've never used it. It does make me uncomfortable. And I, and I cringe internally when I hear it. but. Yeah, that's what it is.
0: So another one is and this comes up a lot. So this has been asked of Jason and I both a-, a lot recently in his trainings, which is saying namaste at the end of class. We've read a lot about it, but we it's hard for us to answer because we're not from India, so it's not our native, you know, greeting. But then we were, it was taught to us from Indian teachers. Honestly, I feel pretty confused about it. And I just wonder if you could offer your perspective on it. Okay.
2: So namaste is an Indian way of greeting. Mm-hmm. Just like you say, hello, hi, welcome. Mm-hmm. So namaste is an Indian, first and foremost, it's an Indian way of greeting. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the word namaste is used in certain parts of India. Okay, say uh, for example up north in the northern parts of India. Now I'm from the southern part, and for us it is namaskara, mm-hmm. namaskaram, varnam. So namaste is it comes from up north. Now growing up, I never said namaste or namaskara to my friends. Okay, it was always reserved. For someone who was elderly, maybe a priest when we went to the temple, somebody really respected by us. Okay, so we only used namaste in that context, at least I did. And it was more the gesture and not necessarily the word for mm-hmm. me. And depending on which Indian person you speak to, their experience might be slightly different. I have friends who grew up saying namaste as their traditional form of greeting, I didn't. For me, it was always palms together, bowing the head down, Mm -hmm. instead of saying Namaskara or Namaste. So, and while it does have meaning, like the divinity in me bows down to the divinity in you, it is more than that. It is a greeting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what people need to understand. Mm -hmm. And if if you're using it as a way to greet your classes, I think that is okay. It is not solely attached to yoga. So I think the problem is Mm -hmm. a lot of yoga teachers think namaste has something to do with yoga. Oh, I see.
0: I see. Okay. 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 It
2: has nothing to do with yoga. It is an Indian way of speaking and greeting and being. So it comes from outside the yoga context is what I'm trying to say.
0: Right, 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 right. right. and,
2: And I think when to India or studied with Indian teachers, they heard the greeting inside a yoga class Mm -hmm. and hence they just thought, okay, it has to be part and parcel of a yoga asana class. But it can be used outside the context of a yoga class. And just because you say or don't say namaste, it doesn't make you more or less authentic as a yoga teacher. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I really think it's what you do between your namastes, honestly, Mm -hmm. at the start and end of class. But I personally don't say namaste in my classes. When I came here, I noticed every teacher used to say <laughs> namaste. So I was like, okay, this is kind of strange, but I'm yeah. gonna try
0: it. It's funny was, that it must have been <laughs> it's funny to come over and be like, okay, they're all they're all using this word that it's not, yeah, okay, this and, is making sense. And And
2: I had such a struggle figuring out how to fit in, in my early years, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep an open mind and I'm going to try saying it for a couple of years and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to be honest, I always felt fake because Mm -hmm. I didn't say it before Mm -hmm. and I stopped saying it for me, the gesture of palms together, bowing your head down in humility for me, that is very powerful. Mm -hmm. That resonates But I eventually dropped the word Namaste from my classes. And very interestingly, none of my Indian yoga students, and I have a lot of them in my class, would none of them said it it back to me ever. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, They would just look at me like, what's wrong with you? So so till today, uh, I say welcome. And I say thank you with the gesture and my head bowing down. But I no longer say Namaste. So I don't think yoga teachers... Necessarily th- need to think of it as appropriation to say Namaste. Mm-hmm. It's it's a greeting. If it means something to you, say it. Mm-hmm. Just don't do things like um, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but Namaste bitch and Namaste AF and Namaste and right, right, like right. That. Yeah, so
0: yeah, that is yeah, of course, like that. Yeah, I okay, so I see. So I so appreciate that that explanation. It makes just it really is so helpful, and I think it will be helpful to people who do feel like it's still meaningful to them. But like Mm -hmm. you're saying, when you take the word out of context and you are like plastering it on your butt, on your sweatpants or something like that, like that's just, first of all, makes no sense and is absolutely inappropriate. I want to just offer this to you in case it just resonates at all. So I think that Americans are so casual and to a point where it can almost be like people have a hard time being disciplined in any setting, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not something that's instilled in our culture. It's like every man for himself and, you know, it's everything is just so all about the self and ambition and all these things. And what Namaste reminded me of when I first started doing yoga is actually mm-hmm. reminded me of the end of a dance class when everyone, and I don't actually know if you do this in Bollywood dance, but when I was growing up at the end of any dance class, you clapped for your teacher. Mm-hmm. So okay. like if you were doing a ballet class and you did your final adagio or whatever, you mm-hmm. would do your curtsy and then you would clap for your teacher. And that signaled the end of class and then you would leave. And mm-hmm. it was always just like a, such a beautiful way to end. Like it was a ritual and it, it showed respect you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was how I always thought of namaste was like this, instead of just an informal Americans who are like rolling up their mats and running uh-huh. out the door, It's was like this moment <laughs> of like, okay, this is what we just did together. Let's all look at each other and honor each other for a moment. So, okay, let's talk about more. One of the things that I noticed is you put a question out to your community, just asking if they felt like an, a sense of inclusivity or if they felt a sense of appropriation in, in different yoga classes, and you got such an interesting array of responses. I'm just wondering if any of those responses felt familiar to you and if you would talk about that a little bit.
2: Sure. So I think there is this, this honestly, I'm going to call it a problem, where Indian people like me who live in the States don't go to the average yoga studio. mm mm-hmm. And a lot of them, and you might have seen these in the responses, a lot of them have opted out of it and they choose to do a home yoga practice instead of going to their local studio um, and This has been a question that's been on my mind from day one. ever since I moved here, I always wondered why was I the only person in class, and honestly, when I left after a point. so one of the main reasons why my classes became my refuge was because there were other people like me in the room. And so finally, I decided to ask this community this question. And I did not realize it was a trigger for so many people out there. I always knew it triggered me. But I thought because I'm in the yoga world, it triggers me a lot more. But one of the main things I noticed was people didn't see representation.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: They never got to do class with an Indian yoga teacher or extend it to a South Asian yoga teacher okay so that was one of the main reasons that they felt a little more alienated they didn't find Indian teachers leave alone Indian-owned yoga studios so it starts there and then it comes down to things like uh, a lot of people can't pronounce our names And as a result, we are almost invisible in classes. Like I can attest to it myself. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that instructors do not want to make eye contact with me. They pretend that there's nobody on that mat because, yes, my name is different. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us face that issue. And your name is is your identity in many ways, Mm -hmm. right? So either you are invisible or you're laughed at based on who's at the front desk or who's teaching class. The few classes that I did many years ago, I don't think I was ever acknowledged ever in a class. I, I cannot remember a single teacher who acknowledged at least me in the room. And eventually I stopped going to studio. So I think that that's it. Like not seeing representation, not being able to pronounce our names. To For some teachers, not being able to even pronounce asana names and the class is pulled away to become just like this workout class you play mm-hmm. some pop music and I think music was a big trigger we don't play music in an asana class back home
1: mm-hmm.
2: so just playing music and playing pop music country music sacred chants just whatever you feel like in the name of an asana class for me it's honestly it's really shocking mm-hmm. there was this one teacher that at the gym, I was practicing in that class. She looked at me and at the end, she's like, can you give me some Bollywood music? Uh, and I'm like, really for yoga class? And she's like, yeah, I'd love to play some Bollywood music. And I'm just like, okay, I never give her anything, but I think it's a combination of the music coming in as well. So there are many layers, right from no representation, can't say our names, uh, make fun of us because you can't say our names. The poses aren't pronounced well. In fact, you don't even refer to the poses. Add music to that mix. And then most yoga studios that I've been to feel more like a shop or a store. It's a storefront that happens to have yoga at the back. Uh Um, And that's a little different. Like when you go to a a yoga school or a yoga shala in India, they don't have a shop up front. That's not the face of yoga. Hmm it's usually the yoga room yes you leave your footwear outside you maintain silence when you walk into that room it's it's a sacred space that you enter in many places but most yoga studios that i at least have been to it's you walk in there are sports bras and pants and incense sticks and books and cd's and namaste t-shirts and it's that's the first thing you're sold and how can your mind detach from all of that if that's what you're being served and then you walk in and then there's music and there's a whole bunch of other things happening. So I think it's a, it's a combination of factors mm-hmm. um, and these just being the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long
2: answer, but yeah.
0: No, it's, I, I, it's an appreciated answer. And I think I'm just, I'm happy that you are out there owning your yoga studio and having a space for people who can feel just comfortable. Someone else mentioned that she felt like, you know, I also feel weird learning from my own culture, learning my culture from a white person who feels they have authority over that knowledge. It feels condescending in the worst way, and regardless of anyone's intention, I'm sure whoever's teaching doesn't intend to to create that feeling. But I, it's completely understandable that. Oh, absolutely. that, That's, just, that was
2: powerful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, music is, is not something that resonates for you with your teaching. Are there any other kind of things in the American Western space of yoga that you feel have gone a little bit too far or that, that you'd like for us to think about? Yoga fads,
2: goat yoga, beer yoga, mm-hmm. wine yoga, chocolate yoga, naked yoga. What is that thing called? Yoga with weights. Like you put dumbbells and do some stuff, face yoga, I mean, I can go on and on about some of these really crazy spin offs, dog yoga i I feel like people should refrain from just because yoga sells well, you can't just slap anything onto it and say it's yoga, and I think that is where we have to really refrain and not don't call anything yoga mm. um pilates and yoga pao or something like that i honestly don't pay attention to it because it it upsets me but i think if there's one thing we can we can really stop doing right away is trying to justify these fads as a practice of yoga it mm-hmm. is anything but yoga it is just somebody trying to make um, a quick living and use yoga to benefit from
0: mm mm-hmm. I haven't even asked you about your approach in the classroom. Talk to me about what you try to bring into your classes and what kind of yoga you teach.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. So Mm. I teach asana classes. That's honestly the main chunk of what I teach. My clientele are largely people who work at Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. So they're sedentary in their jobs. Mm. So they come to a yoga class to move and to breathe, and to feel a little more relaxed, feel a little more in touch with themselves when they leave. And a lot of them also come for community. So, so I teach asana classes, and my style is a mix of slow vinyasa and occasionally more static holds and poses with a little bit of restorative. depends on the day, the theme of class. It's not a, um, a static practice where we do the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. So that's my asana classes. I do not do a lot of direct philosophy in classes because my clientele is there for asana. In fact, my students have told me, hey, I do not want philosophy. I want to practice asana. So that's what I teach mostly in my main group classes. The philosophy comes in in yoga teacher trainings, in workshops. So people who want to learn the other side of yoga, they have the option of doing the other sessions. So it's a combination of the two asana mm-hmm. classes. And then the, the more deeper trainings have the lifestyle, uh, the yamas and Niyamas, the Yoga Sutras. All of that comes in workshops, teacher trainings, we, sometimes in our retreats as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, so, yeah.
0: I, this is a completely selfish question. Are you streaming right now? Are you streaming your yoga and your Bollywood classes? Yes, so yes. we are online for both uh, Bollywood right now. I'm not teaching;
2: a couple of my instructors are teaching, but I'm still focused on running the yoga studio
0: fully. Okay, great. I want to take one of the Bollywood classes for sure. Oh, I've never absolutely. Done it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes page so people can can find you. And you have another exciting project that is coming right up can you let's let's talk about that oh okay you're so sweet to support it thank you so much (laughs) of course i really hope it
2: lives up to its expectations so i'm launching a yoga podcast it actually comes out tomorrow so by the time this is out it will be out to the world it's called it's called let's talk yoga and it's it's a platform to have conversations about cultural appropriation and support for yoga teachers because I'm really passionate about yoga teacher trainings and how they're offered and I think that's where we make all the changes that will impact yoga eventually Hmm. so it's a platform for yoga teachers and it's also meant to be fun along the way with all these conversations so fingers crossed it'll do well if not I'll learn from it we'll see
0: Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you're doing it. I want more people to do. I I think podcasting is great. And I think there's just, there's so much space for all the voices. And I really like the title that you chose. It's really hard to come up with a title, isn't it? It is. And
2: (laughs) And I must be honest, I didn't come up with this title. I asked a friend of mine who actually is interviewed on my podcast. I'm like, hey, you know, here are my options. And she's like, all these titles suck. And she gave me a few options and and then I was like, cause I was like, what what should I call it? You know, you're so close to it sometimes. Like yeah. The I blind do. spot. <laughs> and so she's like, she gave me a few options and she's like, let's talk about yoga. And then I was like, wait a minute, we have something here. And then we just took the about out and said, let's talk yoga.
0: It gives this like com- an invitation to like a conversation, which is I think mm-hmm. what everybody wants. So I'm really looking forward to listening to it. Congratulations to you for just getting it launched. Like it's a huge feat and you did it all on your own. So, so yeah, good luck with that. I'm so nervous. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's really normal. That's very, 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 I mean, that's just part of it. And, you'll, you will just, as it goes on, you will be less and less nervous. It's just like anything, the more you do it, the easier it mm-hmm. becomes. I can, I think I yeah. told you this already, but I can remember when I launched the podcast. I mean, I, I, did not promote it anywhere. I probably had 600 followers on Instagram at the time or something. And I told Jason not to promote it because I was too nervous. And after about a week, one of our best friends came over and he said, Oh, Hey, how's your podcast going? And I said, well, I've had 80 so far. (laughs) It was like a week and I had less than a hundred listens, but I was, I mean, that almost made me more comfortable because I just needed a little bit of time to ramp up. So give yourself that time It'll mm-hmm. it'll be great, and and I'm really happy for you. So I make my husband listen to all the episodes
2: first after they're recorded, and I'm like, "Did I sound stupid? If I did, we're not putting it back." <laughs>
0: yeah, and hopefully he's a good husband and says, "No, you sound amazing." <laughs> you know, he actually gives me really great feedback, and I appreciate that. So yeah, yeah. you, can, you yeah. can trust him. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here, Aru. It's so great to talk to you. And as I said, I will put info for where people can find you. And I'm going to link to your podcast too. So you're going to have more than 80 listens in your first week. <laughs> oh, thank you.
1: Thank you so
0: much. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. YouTube. thanks so much for listening i will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com/episode205 also just one more little piece of housekeeping if you would like to be notified when my online course is available. I am doing a course about creating your own content strategy for yoga teachers. You can go to yogacontentguide.com and just give me your email and I will put you on the list and you will get all the goods and all the information when it's available. It's a great course. I'm really excited about it. I'm finishing it up as I finish up this episode and each day I kind of get more and more excited. Okay. Until next week, enjoy your practice.